Hey, Mosaic, how you guys doing? Good. It's good to, good to see you. It is good to be with you uh, this morning. Man, it's, it's good to see so many people willing to enter into the space and have this conversation. Because some of you, you kind of got like duped into this. You didn't know what we we're going to be talking about. And my apologies on the front end. <laughs> but for those of you who do, there's a lot of you, you know what we've been talking about and you're here. And my hat's off to you. We've been talking about money in this series, which I know is like the taboo subject that we do not talk about in church. Pastors are just after your money. Churches are just after your money. But we decided, you know what, we're going to go there. We're going to go there because we feel like we, we, we need to go there for a number of different reasons. Right? And so as we have, just so you know, I recommended this last week. If you're looking for like further study, something to talk through, go through with your family, your small group, um, I cannot recommend this book more or highly enough to you. It's How to Be Rich by Andy Stanley. It's one of my sources for this for this series, and want to give credit to him. He goes a lot further, a lot deeper than what we're talking about, but really, really good stuff, and I would recommend that to you. So when we started this series, uh, we started with a very big idea that we've kind of been building off of, and it's, it's part of like the assumption that we're operating from. Right? And, and it was some good news and some bad news. The good news is you are rich. That's right. You are rich. I am rich. We're rich. And the problem is we don't often feel like we're rich, right? Because we have such little margin, right? We don't have, maybe some of us, we, we really don't have anything in the bank. It, it feels very much hand to mouth. But what we, what we talked about, what's crazy, is globally, if you were to compare yourself with most people in the world, uh, you are crazy, stinking rich. I mean, really. Uh, in fact, if your household income is $37,000 just a year, which is not a whole lot of money, but if that is your household income, right, that puts you in the top 4% of wage earners in the world. Top 4%, so 96% of the world is poorer than you if you make that much. Right? Of course, some of us make a whole lot more than that. If you own a car, if you drive a car, it puts you in the richest 3% in the world. And so to start with was just acknowledging, look, we've been really, really, really blessed. Really blessed. And it's really good news. It really is. Because, because for us, living in a country like the U.S. and making what we do, we have rich people opportunities. I mean, the ability to get an education and get a job in a culture like this is incredible. To be able to put our kids in school and have them be educated. Like, those are rich people opportunities. Right? We're very blessed. Also, we have the opportunity, because of the money that comes in and out of our account in our lifetime, which is so much more than, than most people on the face of the planet, we have the opportunity to really make an impact with our life. And of course, we can do this with our time and our talent, and many of us do with our lives, but we also can do this financially, right? And so it's really good news. And part of what we said, too, is you should never feel guilty for this, by the way. There's nothing in the Bible that I have found that suggests that you should feel guilty for the ways that God has blessed you. It is a blessing from God. But what we should feel is gratitude and responsibility. So that's the good news is rich, but we also said there's some bad news, right? And the bad news is you are rich, right? And so there's also some bad news with this. And, and part of the bad news is that the Bible has a lot to say about money and about rich people. And what it has to say is oftentimes not good. And it's not that God doesn't love us. It's not that money is bad. It's not. But it's that we have a much harder time. We have a harder time trusting God. We have a harder time experiencing the life that he has for us. We're, we're much more easily distracted um, it, can be, it can be very, very, very hard for us. And so, like, even last week we talked about, you know, those of us who, who have the ability to make money, oftentimes what ends up happening is the gravitational pull of our heart is naturally going to be towards our stuff. And so Jesus had some really radical things to say to people like us. You know, and so he had this thing that he said in Luke chapter 18, and this is kind of jarring for those of us who are in the richest few percent in the world. 
And he said this, he said, man, how hard is it for the rich to enter the kingdom of God? And then he takes a step further and he says, man, it is, it is harder for them to enter the, the kingdom of God than it is for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle. Right? And so it, this is like very, very serious business. That those of us who are rich, meaning we have more than we need, that's what it means. Those of us who have more than we need, we, we are much more vulnerable to be sick from our wealth, to miss what God has for us. And so, so you've heard of, of influenza so the title of this morning's message is Affluenza, right? And it's this idea that, that those of us who have more than we need, like there is, a, we are vulnerable. We are vulnerable to a sickness that is unique to us, that the poor don't experience. But those of us who are rich, if we're not really, really, really proactive, that we just find ourselves uh, stricken with. It's rich people's disease. Andy, Andy Stanley, he writes this, and I love this. He says, you know, if wealth were an over-the-counter medicine... There would be bold warnings printed on the packaging. Warning may cause arrogance. While taking this medicine, extra precaution should be taken not to offend people. If taken for prolonged periods, may impair perception, causing hope to migrate. And if you saw a commercial for wealth on TV, it would show pictures of happy people holding hands in the park. Meanwhile, the voiceover would be listing all the ways it can ruin your kidneys, rot your stomach, cause sudden heart failure, and destroy your life. Right? And so the, the, the personal spiritual complications that accompany wealth are very, very serious. And this, by the way, is the reason that the Bible has so much to say about money. Right? Say what you will. I mean, there, there are pastors and churches that abuse this. There are big faces with private jets on TV that abuse this. Right? And so this can be approached for all the wrong reasons. But the truth is, if we open up the scriptures and say, all right, God, speak. All right, we're just going to go through and address what you address. There's no way that we can get away from not talking about or. Let me rephrase that. There's no way you can get away from talking about this subject. Right? Because there's literally thousands of passages specifically talking about money. In fact, two-thirds of Jesus' parables were in an economic context. Right? Jesus talked about money more than anything other than the kingdom of God. He talked about money more than heaven and hell combined. Right? So apparently this like, issue of money and wealth and giving and is really, really important to the heart of God. And really important for those of us who are rich. And this, by the way, is the reason Paul writes to his, men, his mentee, Timothy, in this passage we've been looking at in our series. And this is what he says. 1 Timothy 6. It says, Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who ritually provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. Right? And so he comes to, to Timothy and he says, look, you have to be so diligent on this one. Right? Don't suggest to rich people. Command rich people to do this. Because they're not naturally going to do this very well. Command them to be rich in good deeds. Command them to be generous. All right? So here, here's the good news. All right? So if affluenza is as deadly as the Bible seems to suggest it is. Right? It's a made-up word, but the idea is there is a serious spiritual sickness that you and I are vulnerable to. If that is as real as the scriptures suggest, the good news is it is not necessarily fatal and there, there is a cure. Right? And Paul says it right here. And, and we find it throughout the scriptures, this, this idea. And that is the cure is to be generous. Or the cure is radical intentional, sacrificial generosity. Now, part of the problem with generosity and part of the problem with greed is everybody thinks they're generous and nobody thinks they're greedy, 
right? Nobody does. Like, I, I've been doing this thing for, what, 12 years? And part of the pastor gig is you sit down with people, and we go through some really, like, harsh stuff. You know, and people will share things that they've done that shipwrecked their career or their family. Sometimes it's stuff that their family doesn't even know about yet, right? And, and we wrestle through it together. And some of it's really rough stuff. But in 12 years, I have never sat down. Not one person has ever sat me down and said, Aaron, I've got a problem. I'm greedy. I, I think I actually put my hope and my faith and my trust and my love. I think it belongs to my money or my stuff, my ability to accumulate. I think it's there. Help me. I have a problem. Not once. Never. Right? We're more prone to confess like our addiction to porn right, or us getting off on torturing small woodland animals than we are to actually like own our money and talk about our money in this open, open way. Right, so none, none of us think that we're greedy, and, and part of the problem is, like, all of us think we're generous. And to an extent, I mean, we kind of are, right? What does it mean to be generous? It's hard to define. Really hard to define. You know, I, I smile and hold the door for strangers. Right? I laugh at Aaron's jokes for him on Sunday. That's very generous of me. Right? I, I give 20 bucks here, and I, 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 buy, I buy a meal for a guy on the street, and I pick up the tab at lunch. And I like the Facebook statuses, right, of charitable organizations, and I retweet the one campaign, like, I am generous. Right? And the truth is, all of that is generous to an extent, right? But it's not the kind of generosity that is going to protect our heart and our soul from being married to our stuff. That kind of generosity takes a lot more clarity, right? And it requires that we get a lot more practical. So that being said, like, that's what I want to do with our remaining time this morning. Right? And I'm assuming some things that are definitely not true of everybody in the room. Right? And so some of us, like, you're not a follower of Jesus. You don't buy into the Bible. You're here for, for a number of different reasons, but it's not because you want to submit yourself to all things that says. Okay? And that's totally cool. We, we consider that a win. Right? But this is specifically, even more specifically for those of us who are in the room and who, has, who do want to come before God and say, All right, God, if this is true, what do you desire of me? All right, so I'm assuming that about you. Uh, if you don't fall into that category, like you're just getting to listen in from afar this morning, okay? So here's, if I could sit down with you and you said, all right, I want to be that kind of generous, the kind of generous that protects me from greed, because the last thing the world needs is a greedy, another greedy person, what would you suggest I do? So I, I want to suggest three kinds of giving that I would encourage every single one of us to consider doing. All right, so the first, if you're taking, and by the way, they all start with the letter P, it's my seminary education, hard at work for you this morning. Um, number one is this, priority giving. All right, becoming a priority giver. And what I mean by that is to get really, really, really clear on what matters to you. All right, what aligns with your beliefs and your values. All right, and then make giving to that thing one of the highest priorities. Right? And so Paul says this in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7. He says this. He says, each of you should give what you've decided in your heart to give. Right? And I love this. He says, not reluctantly or under compulsion. Okay? So just to be clear, we're not taking another offering this morning. All right? We're not launching a campaign this morning. We're on the tail end of this. So you can, you know, we're not doing any of that. Right? It's not, we're not guilting you into giving to Mosaic. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about your heart. We're talking about your soul. Right? I love this. Paul would say, if you're giving because you feel guilty, don't. It's a really bad motivation. He said, God loves a cheerful giver. I love that. But I love that phrase. He says, each of you should give what you've decided in your heart to give. Right? And so it implies that you've given this some thought. Right? That you, your loved ones, your family, 
Or maybe just if you're single, just sitting down with a friend or just with God and saying, like, what, what aligns with my values, what I believe in, what, I'm, what I believe is worth the investment, right? And then I'm going to make giving to that thing a priority, and I'm going to make the decision ahead of time, right? Because here's the thing. Most people give sporadically and emotionally and reactively, right? A lot of our giving is kind of that. So you get invited to a fundraiser, and, you know, you feel that thing, and then, like, I should give, and you do, and that's great, right? Or the, we're passing the offering plates, and, and we let you off the hook, and your wife gives you the elbow, you know? It's like we haven't given in a while. You should throw something in there, right? That, that's, like, sporadic, emotional, reactive giving. What I am suggesting is that you make the decision ahead of time and be more intentional than that. So, so for us as a family, just so you know, the way that we do this is, like, I can tell you percentage-wise what percentage of our income we're going to give away over the next 12 months, right? Because we made that decision ahead of time. So I've shared this before, but for us, like the first 10% of our income comes to Mosaic, comes to our local church. Now you may not believe what we believe, like that's just in accordance with our beliefs and our values, right? Because we believe that God is doing something really special here and that the local church is where the action is, you know? And I'm just convinced that God is ushering in his kingdom and he's doing that primarily through his church. And so for us, we just feel the best of our time and our investment in eternity is here because there's nothing like the local church, right? And so we get to see that. We do that. Uh, that may not be you, but that's just us, 10%, right? And then we have a percentage that goes to World Vision, and we've adopted a couple kids through World Vision, um, sponsoring them. Uh, and then we just had our third child, so we're going to sponsor a, a third child as well. So we just think it's pretty cool to kind of adopt and sponsor as many kids as God's blessed us with in our home. So we have that percentage that goes there. Um, and then we have a percentage that goes to we have some friends that are missionaries in Germany. A percentage of our income goes there. And then we have a small percentage that also is just for the things that come up, like those needs, those opportunities, right, those really cool things that come up throughout the year that we want to give to, right? And part of that is around Christmas time. We get the girls together, and we just do some cool things through World Vision, uh, supporting um, uh, work with uh, human trafficking victims and, and stuff like that. So, so for us, like, we, we decide ahead of time. And here's the thing. We still give sporadically and emotionally and reactively because that is a beautiful thing. But it's secondary, right? We don't only do that. It's secondary, right? We've decided in our heart what we're going to give ahead of time, right? So, so you just need to do the hard work that nobody else can do for you, and that is finding those causes, those organizations that you believe in that align with your heart. Because this, this is the beauty of this thing. There are things that you care about that, that aren't particularly, like, on my heart, you know, that I'm particularly passionate about, right? For some of you, it might be the food bank in Lincoln. It might be the People City Mission. It might be the Bay. Or it could be a number of things. It might be global things, like with International Justice Mission, all types of beautiful, amazing work all over the world. And God has given you that heart, and the amazing thing is, the good news is, you're rich, right? So God is giving you more than you need. And I would suggest specifically so you can be a part of some very beautiful things. And as a rich people, a rich person, you have the opportunity to do that. But here's my warning. Stop assuming you're generous. Right? Don't assume you're generous because you flip 20 bucks here and there and, and whenever it feels good. Like, actually be generous. Right? And that means making some decisions ahead of time. And, and the thing is, you already do this in so many areas of your life. Right? And so for work, you do not wake up on Monday morning and, be, and ask yourself, do I feel like going to work today? No, I don't. You know, I think I'm going to sleep in, right? No, you don't do that. If you did that, you wouldn't have a job, right? And, and, and right now, you're experiencing this. We're experiencing this together, and it's every Sunday morning because there are dozens of people who have made the choice ahead of time, the decision ahead of time, that they believe it's worth their investment of their time to come and set all of this up. This would not work. This would not work if all of our volunteers just decided every Sunday morning whether they felt like it, 
you know, at 6.30 a.m. on Sunday morning when there's snow on the ground and we're still licking our wounds from a horrible Husker loss, you know, what is life about? I just don't know anymore. Who am I? Um, you know, it wouldn't happen. It, it wouldn't happen. But they've made that decision ahead of time, right? If your spouse only chose to love you and serve you when it, they felt like it, only forgive you when they felt like it, you know, your marriage would not be good. It would not be healthy, right? So I'm just suggesting that you do this the same way that you do uh, in every other area of your life. You decide a percentage ahead of time. You decide that amount or those causes and organizations ahead of time. And then you, you give there, right? And, and you make it a priority, right? And the easiest way to make this a priority is to make it the first check or the first three checks or four checks you write every month. So before the mortgage, before the car payment, before the groceries, before all of that stuff. And, and I'm just telling you, like, for those of us who do this, there are people in this room that would just so passionately try to encourage you to do this. Because what this does is it just makes it the number one priority, right? It protects you from greed, right? And it protects you from giving back to God or humanity your leftovers, right? And so make it a, make it a priority. Decide in your heart ahead of time. All right, so number two. Number two, percentage giving. All right, become a percentage giver. So, so I want to share something with you, and this is very radical, and, and this is uh, something from the, the scriptures that if you don't hear anything else this morning, this, if I could cause you to get anything, all right, this would be it. Because this will, if you allow it, this could radically alter the way that you think about what it means to be generous. As we think about how God thinks about what it means to be generous. And so there, there's this passage in, in the book of Mark, chapter 12, when Jesus is out with his disciples. And they're in the temple, right? And they're taking the offering, right? And it's a little bit different than how we do it. They didn't pass around buckets or anything like that. There's a box by the door, a jar. And when you walked in or when you walked out, you drop your, your gift in there, right? And so they're watching this thing, and Jesus sees something start to unfold, and he says, guys, sit down. You need to watch this. You need to watch this. And he draws their attention to it, and he says something that is so radical. So this, this is what it says. Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put, and he watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury, right? And so one by one, they're watching these people file through, dropping their gifts in there. And then... It said that many rich people in the process, they threw in large amounts. So they're throwing in large amounts, probably doing it in such a way that they can be noticed, right? This is important. I want you to know I'm a generous person. I'm being generous right now. Look at this giant gift that I'm putting in the plate. And then, and then this. But a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a few cents. Right now, the Greek word that's being used here, it refers to a currency. This was the smallest currency that was in use in Palestine at that time. In fact, it was so small that the Greeks and the Romans, they didn't have a currency that was the equivalent. It was so small. Right? Two teeny copper coins in the midst of all these wealthy, big gifts, lots of zeros on the ends of those checks. And she puts in these little two copper coins. And this is what Jesus said. This is so radical. Right? Here's how Jesus viewed wealth. And if Jesus was more than a man, this is indicative of how God views wealth and generosity. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, Truly I tell you, this poor widow has put, and say this with me, this poor widow has put more. She's put more into the treasury than all the others. Well, Jesus, what about that guy? That guy wrote a $1,000 check. How can you say that? And Jesus would say, no, 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 she put, she put more than he did. What about the guy who wrote a $10,000 check? That is a lot of zeros. You're gonna t- how, how can you say this? And Jesus would say, no, 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 $10,000. She put in, she put in more. 
Guys, this is, this is so huge because what she's saying, like, in the kingdom of God, in God's eyes, as he's measuring what is actually generous, right, that, it is, that God is not impressed with how many zeros are behind that check. What God is impressed with is what that giving, what that generosity looks like in comparison to our income. And, and you already understand this, right? I mean, if Warren Buffett came walking through those doors and he wrote a $10,000 check to Mosaic, we'd be pumped. Christmas came early. But you and I both know that's not that much money for Warren Buffett. I mean, that is, that is scraps off the table. That is like pocket change that you lost in the car, $10,000. Right? And so as great as that would be to what Mosaic's doing and trying to do in our city, the truth is, if that's the extent of his giving, that's not very generous. Right? And this is just what Jesus is getting at. Right? That if you want to know how God measures generosity, right, it's what you're giving away in accordance with your wealth. That God looks at the percentage given, not the amount given. And this, by the way, is one of the reasons that poor people, they almost always outgive us. They almost always outgive rich people. Right? And so there's a study done just in the U.S. about people who are in the top 20% of wage earners in the U.S., and they compared them to the bottom 20% of wage earners in the U.S., and they compared how much they gave. And based on what we've been talking about the last couple of weeks, this won't surprise you at all. Right? But the, those in the bottom 20%, of wage earners in the U.S. gave twice the percentage of their income away than those in the top 20%. It's craziness. Craziness. Right? Those with the biggest ability to do some beautiful, redemptive, humanity-serving things in our world were hoarding twice the percentage. And those at the bottom were giving twice away. In fact, you know what um, pay grade of people gave away the highest percentage of their income? People who made less than $12,000 a year gave away the highest percentage of their income, right? And if you're like me, you're like justifying for them. It's like, why would you do that? That is irresponsible. You need to make more than that. You only make $12,000 or less a year. What are you doing giving away? Clearly, they are foolish, you know? Like, we do this, but it's unbelievable to me, right? And it's totally in line with what we've looked at. It's totally in line. Like, I read that, I'm like, oh my goodness. Like, what we're reading in the scriptures is, is true, Right, that statistically we've looked at, the more money that you make, the less percentage of your income you will give away. Why is that? I would suggest to you it's because what we're reading in here is true. And that is that when Jesus talks about the deceitfulness of wealth, it's a real thing. And when he talks about how hard it is for those who are rich to enter into the kingdom of God and experience this self-giving, sacrificial, generous lifestyle that God invites us to be in, it is harder for us who make more money. It is, it is crazy. Right, so we read this account, and Jesus just says, look, if you want to know what it looks like in God's eyes to be generous, it is not about the money. It is not about the amount given. Right? It's about the percentage given. Right? And so this is this idea that comes over and over. This is the truth that Paul is leveraging in Timothy, uh, his letter to Timothy. This is why he's telling Timothy, look, you need to command rich people. Don't suggest it. Command rich people to be generous to be rich in good and deeds, to be ready to share, and to give, 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 right? So, so the natural, like, next question then is, like, all right, I can get, okay, a percentage, all right, uh, how much is that then, right? Because that's what I'm encouraging you to do is to choose a percentage. Don't do it accidentally. Just choose a percentage, right? And, and let me just say this. Put this on the table for you. Personal issue, uncomfortable issue, I know. Uh, it is what it is. We're going there, though. We're talking about it. We need to acknowledge on the front end that when we talk about this spiritual discipline of giving, just as we talk about any other spiritual discipline, right, it's that this is a process. 
This is a process. And sometimes in church world, we can talk about this like it's a faith is a definite, and either you're in or you're out, you're saved, you're not saved, you've arrived, or you are lost, you know? And, and that's not the whole picture. The truth is, like, we're all still lost in some ways. You know what I mean? Like, Jesus may have found us, but we're struggling to find Jesus. You know, like, there's, there's areas of our life where we still struggle to believe. We're all unbelievers in some sense. I know that's true of me. And I guess that's probably true of you, too. So, all that to say, like, this is a process. Discipleship is a process. Becoming a generous person that is free from greed doesn't happen overnight. Right? It's a process. Right, so pick a percentage and start there. The important thing is to start, right? And if you have no idea where to start, let me just, just suggest something to you. All right, so, so the median income in the U.S. is like $50,000 and some change. And last time I looked, I think in Lincoln, it's about that, right? I, I believe it's about $50,000 per household, right? And people in that income category give on average 6% of their income away to charity every year. Now, here's the thing. It's not on purpose. It's on accident. Right? And so the vast majority of those people aren't strategically choosing organizations and causes that align with their values and their beliefs and saying, we're going to give 6% away this year. They just kind of flip the bill, you know, give reactively and sporadically and whenever they're hardest tugged. And then they get to income tax time and they're like, oh, we gave 6% away. That's cool. All right? So, so they're not giving on purpose. And what I would suggest, if, you, if you've never become, like, been a percentage giver before and you don't know where to start, why not just start on what the average is? Why not start at 6%, choose some organizations and causes you believe in, and just proactively, intentionally, sacrificially start giving that away to things that make sense for you. All right, now I will say this. 6% is a great place to start, but I would encourage you to get to 10% as fast as you can. Right? And, and I know that's easy for me to say because Megan and I have been doing this for, for years and years and so we've been able to do that and, and grow past that. And for some of us, I mean, Mosaic, we've got a lot of people who are really new to this whole faith thing. And, and I recognize that up until Jesus, and maybe even after, like there's a lot of decisions represented there. There might be a lot of debt there, right? There's things that you're driving and places you're living and all these different things, financial decisions that you've made that you might have to deal with. They don't just go away on the other side of the cross. So I recognize like, it might take some serious like, rearranging to get to where you want to be, but I would encourage you to get to 10% as quickly as possible uh, for a couple different reasons. And one of those is because the only cure for greed is generosity. And even if you're not a Christian and you don't believe in God, and we might disagree on some spiritual beliefs sort of things, theological things, the same is still true, though. Right? You don't have to give it to Mosaic. Give it somewhere else. But you need to give it because it's the only cure for greed. That's the first thing. The second thing, the, only, the second reason I would say about increasing and getting to 10% as fast as you can, and this is for me speaking to the Christians in the room, is that, man, we serve the most generous God on the face of the earth who gave everything for us. And even when we were running the other direction as fast as we could, rebelling, as much as we could, not interested, I'm going to do my own thing, sinning in every way imaginable, breaking all Ten Commandments on a Tuesday, God still chased after us. And he still put out his arms, and he shed out his blood for you and for me. And we serve that God, and we represent that God to an unbelieving world. And so for me, I think for us, for those of us who are followers of Jesus, that 
our generosity should go above and beyond just what the average of what everybody else is giving, right? I mean, people should look at our lives and say, what, what is with that guy? What is with that girl? What is with that church? They're always giving, 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 giving. What is with that that is so countercultural? That makes no sense on paper. Why do they do that? Well, it's because we serve a God who did that for us. Right? And so I would say 6% is a great place to start. It's just not a very good place to stop. And for that, for that matter, you know, neither is 10%. I don't, I don't think there's any, like, magic number where God says, my work here is done. <laughs> Go do whatever you want. You know, I, I want to really encourage you to this lifelong process of progressive giving. Right? Starting somewhere and then just every year saying, God, increase my generosity. Free me from greed. Show me where you want this to go. All right, so, so that being said, here's where I want to wrap up. So I thought it would be kind of fun as a church to give us, like, a picture of where we're at. All right, and, and so I want to show you a couple of pictures here in a minute that are, they're like church health metrics. All right, so as, like, a pastor and a leadership guy, I'm going to geek out over these way more than you probably. So just humor me, right? But in all seriousness, though, if you're a part of Mosaic and you call this home, like this is important because um, it gives you a picture of kind of where we're at together as a community of faith three and a half years in. Okay, so, so the first one, first one we're going to look at here is attendance to staff ratio. So this is like a metric used to kind of get a feel for whether you're understaffed or you are, you're overstaffed. And, and if you've been around Mosaic, you probably know which side of the spectrum we fall on. But so if you're looking at, looking at this, so the bottom 10%, this is churches in the U.S., right? So the bottom 10% have a 50 people to one full-time staff ratio. So this might be like a small church of 50, which is roughly like the average size of the average church in the U.S., a little bit more than that, but not much, um, with one full-time staff. Or it could be like a church of 1,000 who have 20 full-time staff. Right? And there's a lot of them that do. But that would put them uh, at the bottom 10%, looking at churches across uh, the U.S. So you work your way up below average. Average. The average church has a ratio of 86 people to one full-time staff. Keep on going up. When you look at the top 10%, you have 133 to one. 133 people to one church staff. So for Mosaic, just so you know, so like where we're at as a church... On a typical weekend, we fluctuate between like 350 to a couple weeks ago, we had almost 500 people uh, on a weekend. Uh, We have two staff. So the amazing thing is, and this is kind of patting ourselves on the back, but just, you know, I'm like prepping you for the second one because it's not such good news. Um, But on our lowest, like our low Sundays, we literally have about 175 people to one staff, which puts us literally in like maybe the top one, two, three percent of churches in the U.S., right? You should feel really good about that, just to be clear. Like, really, you should, because that doesn't make sense on paper. What that means is maybe 97, 98, 99% of churches in the U.S. would look at what we're doing here and ask, like, how are you doing that? Like, I would love to have your volunteer force, right? And the only reason that's possible is because we have a lot of people who call Mosaic home who have taken Paul's advice of being rich in good deeds and who have said, we're not just going to come to church and attend church. We're going to be the church. We're going to be the church on Sunday. We're going to be the church on Monday through Saturday. We're going to use our talents and our passions and our time to serve as part of being the church. It is unreal. I mean, we, you, know, you recognize like in a few months, we seriously could have more campuses than staff. Has that ever been done before? I don't know. Is that even a good idea? I don't know, you know, but, but 
Honestly, like, after, you know, over the last year of, of praying about it, I mean, we as a directional team are unanimous, our volunteer staff. Like, we all believe we can do this, and we can do it well, right? And so we are pressing forward, and, and just, you know, you should really, you should feel really good about this. That is just a testament to how amazing this church is, like the people. So that's the first one. Um, second one, uh, I'm setting you up a little bit. Second one's a little bit tougher. So second one is uh, me- another metric for, for measuring church health. And, and this one specifically looks at per capita giving. So this is looking at per person, per adult, who comes to church on a weekend, how much they give per week on any given month. Um, and so just so you know, just a little caveat. I have no idea what we as a church give elsewhere. So I don't, I don't know what causes or organizations you're already investing in. The only numbers that I have is what we're giving to our church. So just know you could be giving a ridiculous amount of money somewhere else. I hope that's the case. I hope that's the case. Okay. So uh, if you're looking at per capita giving, so top 10% of churches average, that line right there is 62 bucks per adult per week on a given month. Uh, that's a lot of money. That's a lot of money. Um, that's your average adult there. If you look at the average for churches across the U- U.S., uh, 41 bucks per adult per week. All right? Um, bottom 10% line is $26 per adult per week. So uh, let me just give you our figures from this fall. Uh, looking at our figures from this fall, um, August we averaged $9.72 per adult per week. So we are maybe the bottom 2% that month, 3%, well in that bottom 10% there. Uh, September, moving up a little bit, $12.83 per adult per week. Uh, Still moving up and to the right, so this is good. Uh, October, uh, we averaged $15.57 per adult per week. So to give you kind of a feel for how we're doing in this particular category, (laughs) where in people-to-staff ratio, we're in the top couple percent in the country when it comes to our generosity at least towards our church uh, we are in the bottom couple percent um, which you know is not very good so I'll just put that on there it's it's not very good and, and the thing is like this could be this could be for a variety of reasons it could be that we're still a very young church young in the sense that we're three and a half years old young in the sense that we are physically young you know what I mean like look around like we are young most churches are like, where'd all the young people go? You know, Sunday morning, I'm like, here they are. You know, they're, they're here. We're young. Got a number of young believers, right? So we've seen hundreds of people come to Christ over the last three and a half years, which is amazing. Like, our heart bleeds for that. So it could be that. Could be that we've got a number of people who, who call Mosaic home who haven't even crossed that line of faith, and they may never will, but they call Mosaic home. They're here checking it out, but they wouldn't say, I'm a follower of Jesus. We've got some of those. It could be that. But... If I'm really honest, like as a pastor, like statistically, as I look at the numbers, I mean, we're young, but we're not that young. You know what I mean? Like we've, we've got a number of unbelievers and, and people all over the belief spectrum who call Mosaic home, but not so many that, that are giving, it would put our giving down there. Right? And so I read these and, you know, like just so you know, like I don't like giving messages like this. Like, if you've been around Mosaic, you know this. Like, I, I love to exhort and encourage and inspire. And this is just one of those that you're just like, ugh. You know what I mean? Like, but as a pastor, I feel like I have a responsibility. 
to just let you know as transparently as I can, like where we're at. And to contrast that against the scriptures and to invite you to something different, to invite you to something, something more. Um, these numbers would, would suggest to me that if we have like an issue as a church, if we have one thing that maybe we put above God more than any other thing, um, that it's the same issue that most rich people have. And that's that our money is maybe that thing. Now, I don't know that for sure, because again, you could be giving a ridiculous amount of money to other organizations, and you just don't believe in Mosaic. And I hope that's the case. That's like the best case scenario, you understand? Um, that could be possible, but if we're like most people, that's, that's not what's going on. So, so we've got to go there. We've we got to talk about it. Now, just so you know, the good news is we're not closing our doors, and we have never been short what we need. And in fact, not only are we not closing our doors, like we are aggressively, aggressively moving forward. The good news is it's amazing. We, we in three and a half years, you understand, this, this, again, let's start making you feel a little better. The last three and a half years, I mean, we are a church that is, what, like eight times the size of the average church? And we've done it on 1% of the budget of what most churches have at their access? That, my friends, is not normal. That is, that is incredible. And again, that is testament to how amazing our army of volunteers really are. Now, will you imagine with me for a moment what we could do? Being set up as volunteer-heavy and mobilized as we are. What we could do if we actually got healthy financially. Guys, we could do, we could do just about anything that we wanted, or anything that God led us to do in this city. We could plant so many churches. We could multiply so many campuses. We could create so many spaces like this where people could bump into Jesus and come to experience the grace of God. We could meet so many needs. We could, we could do just about anything. But to get there, it's going to require that we become generous. Right? That we become priority givers, percentage givers, and progressive givers. And, and one more caveat. Just let me say this again. And I want you to hear this if you're feeling like some tension inside of you or you're a visitor with us. I don't want you to give a single dollar to Mosaic if you don't believe in Mosaic. I really don't. And I think the Apostle Paul would back me up on that one. I don't. We don't want your money if, if somewhere else aligns with your values and your beliefs and what you feel is worthwhile. I only want you to, to be faithful to give here and to be generous here if you see the value in Mosaic and you believe in it. All right? So just know that. Not after your money. God's after your heart. Right? And my hope and my prayer is, man... We do a little bit better than the bottom 2% moving forward. All right, let me pray for you. Lord God, I, I hope it's coming through that this is not shared in any way, shape, or form from a place of discouragement. I could not be more excited about what you have done through this community of people over the last three and a half short years. It is, it is really remarkable. It's not normal. And so I, I couldn't be more excited about our future and some of the things on the horizon. But we're talking about this, Lord, because I believe with everything in me that this is so much more than a money issue. This is a heart issue. This is a soul issue. That you ha have so much to say to us about what we do with what you've entrusted to us. And you don't want us to become just another 
greedy, rich person. That you want to do something extraordinary in and through our lives. And as rich people, we have that opportunity. And so, Lord God, my, my hope and my prayer is that this is received uh, just in the right spirit. That this is not to guilt or shame anybody. This is just a candid, transparent conversation about where we're at with the limited information that we have. And so, Lord God, my prayer for, for us as a community and for each person listening to this is that you would give us the courage and the humility to ask, Lord God, where am I not surrendered? And if that is my wealth, so be it. And if that is another area, so be it. But as it pertains to my wealth, Lord God, I'm opening up my hand and saying, where do you want me to invest some of this? Because I recognize some of it is for my enjoyment, that every good and perfect gift comes from above. And sometimes I get to eat, drink, and be merry in your name. Indeed, that is a picture of heaven. But also acknowledging that that's not the only thing you've given us wealth for, but that some of it has been given to us specifically to be given away to what you're doing in this world. And so, Lord God, I ask that you would make us into a people that can go there and do that with humility and of generosity, that you would make us a generous people. And so, Lord God, we come before you now as a community of faith. We pray these things in your name. Amen.